Oh, they'll fake it. Bates throws it. He's got him. Wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State. Jalen wants Jackson. And he scores on the last play of the game. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm your co-host along with Colton Pouncey. And welcome to the Athletics Podcast on Michigan State football. Colton is the Michigan State beat writer for The Athletic. I am a former Michigan State beat writer who currently covers national college football, and we're excited to add this uh, to what The Athletic has to offer. Uh, Colton, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, for those of you who don't know or if you're hearing my voice for the first time, uh, my name is Colton Pouncey. I'm entering my second year in the MSU beat for The Athletic Detroit. A um, little bit of background on myself. Graduated from the University of Missouri in 2017. Um, spent about a year at a, a newspaper in Nashville called The Tennessean, and you know, around last April, I uh, got a, a message from Craig Custance, the editor-in-chief of the Athletic Detroit, asking if I'd be interested in covering MSU football. And honestly, it didn't take too much convincing. Um, had a talk with someone that MSU fans might know, uh, sports columnist Joe Rexroad. Um, so, you know, had a talk with him. He explained how great of an opportunity it was and, you know, East Lansing and some different things about the beat. And, you know, I, I was really intrigued to come over and, you know, entering year two on the beat and can't really, really can't wait to get <laughs> cannot wait to get started. And I'm a 2011 graduate of Michigan State. I've covered uh, MSU for uh, several publications since then and done multiple podcasts at some uh, other places. And this podcast for new listeners will be twice a week. The Monday, the weekly Monday podcast will be available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, The Athletic app, and wherever you get your podcasts, while our second podcast of the week, Thursdays, will only be available on The Athletic for subscribers. So with that, let's talk about the 2019 season. And before we talk about that, let's go back a little bit to 2018. Colton, you covered the team last year. It was your first year on the beat. Uh, very hard to watch at times, I think would be putting it nicely, Uh what do you take away from your first year on the beat and, and what it means for Michigan State in 2019? Yeah, you know, I think back to last August and there's a lot of optimism around that time. Uh, I think MSU opened the season ranked number 11 in the preseason poll. Um, you know, they're coming off a 10-win season in 2017 and, and a lot of positives coming out of fall camp, but I just, that, that wasn't the season that they envisioned at all. Um, Really early on, you can tell that the offense wasn't right. Um, you know, that, that second game against Arizona State, uh, they're up 13-3 heading into the fourth quarter. 13 points against a team that no one really knew what you were going to get from that Arizona State team. I think that was kind of a red flag early in the season. End up losing that game, start off the season 1-1. One and one, And then all of a sudden, there are a, a bunch of questions that arose from there. Um, I Obviously, the, the biggest issue last year was the offense. And... MSU ranked 126 in scoring, um, like I think I want to say 115th or 116th in rushing. That's really bad. It is, and, and you look at this MSU team that that's kind of the bread and butter of the years, having strong running games, strong running backs, and you know a guy that can carry the ball 200 times. Once LJ Scott went down in that Arizona State game, you didn't really have that for the rest of the season. So I just think things quickly fell apart from there. Um, you know, it ended with a seven and six season, which is certainly not not the expectations, not the standard for this team. And 
this program over the years. So, you know, I, I just look at last season, and I think they just want a fresh start heading into 2019. There's a lot of guys back from that team that, that want to do right and want to end their career on a high note, and they'll have that chance this year. But to that 2018 season, not something that anyone here expected. So moving forward, uh, our, our Monday podcast will be mostly a recap of the previous game. The the Thursday podcast will be previewing the upcoming opponent. So we're not going to really talk about Tulsa just yet. Uh, we're going to talk more big picture stuff and, and more specifically about MSU. And despite as ugly as things were last year, MSU once again enters this season as a preseason top 20 team. And yeah. it's st- still very weird for Michigan State to be given benefit of the doubt. I think a lot of people who think about the history of this team and uh, – failure to meet expectations in the past. But there, I think there's reason for optimism, and you just look at previous down seasons under Mark D'Antonio. They they go 7-6 and six his first year. They they bounce. They win nine games the next year. They go 6-7 and seven in 2009, and they win the Big Ten the next year. They go 7-6 and six in 2012, win the Big Ten the next year. They go 3-9 and nine in 2016 and win 10 games the next year. So... Is this going to be a bounce back year, Colton? Uh, over over the off season, over spring football, what were you? What were the biggest things that you think happened uh, to this program and and how it could affect twenty nineteen? Yeah, you know, I really do think the season sets up well for a bounce back, um, and part of that is the players that they got back. Um, Kenny Wilkins had a, had a chance to go to the NFL. You know, he he broke his leg in the Red Box Bowl, unfortunately, so that kind of made his decision for him, but. What you have back is an All-American defensive end who can do a lot of things. He's a he's improved his pass rush this offseason. And not just Kenny, but you look at those guys on defense. Joe Bocci, David Dow, Mike Ponishuk, Raekwon Williams. It, it's it's really stacked. And all those guys had an opportunity to at least test the waters and, you know, see where their draft stock might have been. And, and they all chose to come back for, for what could be a, a special year this year if, if everything goes right. And that defense was a top 10 team last year, top 10 defense last year. Um all those guys are back in the fold. So I think that right there gives you optimism, maybe cautious optimism heading into this year. But I think it gives this team a high floor. Um, and then certainly you have to look at the offensive end in, in terms of what the ceiling can be for this team. But I think the ingredients are in place for what could be a bounce back season for sure. Yeah, and, and we're going to we're gonna start with the offense. We'll save the defense for a second. That'll be the dessert, I think, for fans. Yep. Got to eat your vegetables. Got to talk about the offense. Absolutely brutal last year. Injuries across the board. Ryan Lewerke throwing the ball while admitting it hurts to throw the ball. Not, not usually not a usually not a good combination there. Uh, but Lewerke is the guy again going into this year. Uh, he's a, it's weird to think he's already a senior. He you you think back to like was it 2016 when he seemed to show some show some promise and, and here we are he's already a senior. Uh, Felton Davis is gone, but. I think a solid group of receivers back in Cody White and Daryl Stewart and Jalen Naylor. Colton, when you look at this pass offense, uh, what do you make of the pieces? And, and can Lewerke get back to you know being a you know above average quarterback? Yeah, um, you know, last month I, I ranked MSU's offensive position groups from stable to most stable, and that was genuinely hard. Uh, <laughs> there's not much stability here to say the least, but you know, I look at the receiver position. I think that's, that's clearly the top group here. Um, whenever you bring back Daryl Stewart, a Cody white, 
and then you add a Jalen Naylor, who's a, a, a young, promising piece that can that can do a lot of things on the field, a lot really versatile player. Um, that gives you so many weapons on the outside, and something that Brian Lewerke's talked about is getting the ball into the hands of his playmakers. Um, you know, finding finding Cody White on the outside. Maybe I know everyone hates jet sweeps, but Jalen Naylor's pretty good at those. Um, so I think if if the offense can find some more creativity with these pieces coming back, I think. You know, and obviously a healthy shoulder from the workie where he's not talking about the, the searing pain. Um, I think that this passing offense can be can be pretty good. Um, you know, I think the workie said one of their goals was to get to 250 passing yards per game. Um, I think that's certainly doable if, if he's right and, and these receivers are healthy, um, which was a big part of, you know, why last year there's kind of a, a drop off there. You know, these guys were on the field. So better health um, from both the workie and these receivers, I think MC's passing game can be just and in good shape heading into 2019. Yeah, Cody White was having a very solid season before injury kind of uh, knocked him out for a little bit. He averaged 13 yards per catch, um, a, a great compliment to Felton Davis, and then obviously Felton Davis goes down. And then Daryl Stewart, I, I, he has some of the strongest hands I've ever seen in a Michigan State wide receiver. Like yep. he, he makes a lot of really tough catches – uh, if it touches his hands, he's usually going to bring it in, and I think that's a, a skill set that uh, uh, you kind of only can just see it, and I, right. I think you can see it. And you mentioned Jalen Naylor, the sophomore. He's got a lot of speed. We'll talk about those jet sweeps in a minute when we get to the <laughs> of get to the, the coaches. But w- with Lewerke, I think the biggest thing is is taking care of the ball. I mean, eight touchdowns to 11 interceptions last year. Uh, yeah, he was banged up, but but fumbles were a problem the year before. And he throws a lot of balls that uh, happen to not get intercepted for whatever reason. Pro Football Focus rated him. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was very, very low. They ranked all 130 FBS starting quarterbacks. He was he was pretty. He was in the bottom half. He was in sure. the seventies, I want to say. Yeah. yeah so because and, and something they mentioned was he's actually been a bit fortunate in the number of passes that haven't been intercepted. So he he's got to take care of the ball and. I think the biggest where that all comes from will be the offensive line. I think I noticed this the very first game last year against Utah State. He did not feel comfortable behind that offensive line. He was feeling pressure whether or not it was there. He was looking at the line to see where pressure was coming from, and it it caused problems throughout the entire year. The offensive line brings back basically everybody in terms of starters, uh, but it was a, a real mess last year, and it, it, it's really been the probably the weakest position in D'Antonio's tenure. Couple of guys, except for a couple of years when he had some draft picks like Jack Conklin in 2015, it works out. But most years, this has been a average to below average group. It for a team that likes to run the ball as much as they do, it's a real problem. Mm-hmm. Colton, what do you make of the offensive line? Oh man, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, I, everyone likes to say. These guys have been around for a couple of years now that, you know, this could be the year where they put it all together. But I don't really know what, you, what you're going off of when you say that. Um, you know, even in 2017, when this, off, when this team won, you know, 10 games, the offense only averaged 24 points a game, which I want to say was 96th in the country. Um, the offensive line, if you look at those advanced metrics, each of the last two seasons, they haven't been too kind to MSU. So, you know, yeah, you have a lot of experience and a lot of bodies there, but they haven't really been able to put it all together. And I, I really don't know what you can go off to say that that's going to happen this year. 
Um, if there's one thing you want to point to, it's maybe Jim Bowman, who is a guy that's coached offensive line throughout his career and a guy that Mark D'Antonio is comfortable with coaching that position, which is why we'll get to the, the staff changes later. But I think people are you know, optimistic about what he can do, and he seems to be more of a teacher and you know, has simplified things for these offensive linemen, and I think they're really taking to him. Um, I think MSU, they've had their struggles in recruiting offensive linemen, and they've kind of lucked out with a few pieces here and there, but I really like this 2019 class and maybe some guys in 2018 class too, but I think I think there's room for a freshman maybe like Devontae Dobbs, you know, who's MSU's top recruit. He's been playing exclusively at left tackle. Um, I think they're trying to work him into the rotation because he plays a position of need and he was a top, top recruit, so... You know, I think if you work in some bits and pieces here, a few new guys, and you just find the best five players at the position, then maybe there's room for improvement here. But I did rank offensive line as the least stable offensive position, and, you know, that's that's really the most important position on this team, on this offense. And if, if they can improve a little bit, I think that'll open up things for the rest of the offense. But we kind of have to see it before anything else. And, and it's pretty telling that you thought it was the least stable despite having – Cole Chewin, Sigby, Allen Jarvis, Reed, Gamble, yep. everybody back, and it's still not stable just because that that has been uh, a big problem, and that's going to also kind of that is that will determine how successful the running game is, which has not been very good for a few years. Connor Hayward averaged four point five yards per carry last year, uh, showed showed bursts, solid, not maybe not a bell bell cow type of guy. You're going to give twenty five thirty handoffs a game. But there is – he has shown flashes. There is some talent there. What do you make of the running backs? Yeah, you know, this is kind of a hard position to judge just because of everything we just mentioned with the offensive line. Um, there weren't too many running lanes for them last year. Um, and the offensive line really struggled to get a, a push up front. And a lot of times running backs had to run through their own offensive line and get them pushed back into them. <laughs> so – but when I look at this position, I do see – some talent. Um, you know, Connor Hayward last year was really his first year playing running back exclusively. Um, you know, his, his, throughout high school, he was playing a bunch of different positions, quarterback, receivers, and defense. So he kind of, this was first year settling in at, at running back. And, and we saw that those struggles. Um, you know, I, I think his vision was a work in progress. That's something he's, he said he wants to fix from last year, but they, when there were running lanes available, he didn't always find them. Um, I look at a guy like Ladarius Jefferson, who was a freshman that came in with a lot of hype, and he got some carries once LJ Scott went down, and he didn't really do a ton with it. Um, but he was another guy that played quarterback in high school. Now he ran the ball pretty much every other play. Um, but, you know, I think there was a learning curve there. And, you know, that, that running game, they finished 116th in running nationally. And um, it wasn't hard to see why. So, but I, I do think there are some pieces there. They got a couple of freshmen in this class. Um, Brandon Wright, who profiles as a, as a bigger back, he might not be ready just yet, but I think he's a guy that the coaching staff is excited about. Um, Anthony Williams, junior, he uh, enrolled early this spring and, and, and kind of opened some eyes with his elusivity and just kind of things he can do. He's really good receiving back. So I think there's, there's a, a way for him to see the field too, but... Uh, when, I, when I look at this running back position, I think a lot of it depends on what you're going to get from the offensive line. I think there can be moderate improvement from these offensive linemen, and then that'll, like I said, open everything up for the rest of the offense and, and these running backs in particular. But um, there, there is inexperience at, at this position. I think they need to see some guys grow this year. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing of the offense 
whatever the position comes down to explosive plays. This is this is not a team that can dink and dunk down the field, and that was a big problem for the last couple of years. I mean, MSU averaged 5.2 plays per play on first down last year, 109th in the country, 1.1 gains of 30 yards uh, or more per game. That's just, it's not going to cut it unless you have incredible field position from that defense. They have to get explosive plays. They have to have big passes down the field. They have to have big runs. And for all of that to happen, you got to have holes, and it comes on the offensive line. Yep. Jim Bowman is taking over the offensive line. Mark Staten coached that group for a long time. He moved over to, I think, tight ends. Brad Salem is the new offensive coordinator. He's been on the staff for a decade now. And he's a guy who's well-respected in coaching circles. He has head coaching experience. Um, we'll kind of have to wait and see what's different. You know, fans had uh, directed a lot of ire toward offensive coordinator Dave Warner for uh, inconsistent play calling, for being sometimes predictable and sometimes not finding any sort of rhythm. What did you make of the coaching staff? Everybody switching positions. It's not something you really ever see, but D'Antonio has always pushed staff loyalty, and in the past it's paid off. Uh, but but this year it, uh, everybody's under the gun, and the assistant coaches have shorter contracts than they did before. So I think everybody knows that they have to turn it around. What do you make? What do you make of those staff changes? Yeah, um, I, I think it's certainly a gamble. Um, when, you, when you look at the offensive staff last year. Uh, Dave Warner seemed like people were, were hashtagging fire Warner every single week after every game. Uh, he stays on it as quarterbacks coach. Uh, Brad Salem moves from quarterbacks to offensive coordinator and running backs. Um, they took a guy that was kind of a, a pretty respected receiver coach and, and Terry Samuel moved him to defense. And then they took Don Treadwell, who's, who's been around this program and has been offensive coordinator under Michigan State, um, and put him back at you know a place of comfort for him with the wide receivers. So you know, I'm, I'm looking at these staff changes, and I understand what D'Antonio was thinking when, when he made these these decisions. I think he, he looks at the injuries last year at pretty much every offense position, and I think he's banking on the fact that there's going to be better health this year. Um, I think he's banking on that loyalty and familiarity that, you know, they've seen up front what went wrong last year, and he feels that they can fix it internally, and maybe by having a new voice in each position group room, um, that elevates each position just a little bit more with those coaches who have really going all back to their natural position. So I do understand it. Um, at the same time, it is a gamble because if this doesn't work out, let's say whatever reason, um, Michigan State finishes with you know another offense ranked in the 100s. Um, you waste a, a great defense, arguably – maybe one of Michigan State's best defenses under Mark D'Antonio again in 2019, and you win six, seven games. I, I just don't see how you can keep all these guys around after a year like that. And, you know, then you start to talk about legacy and, and, and what Mark D'Antonio is doing instead of, you know, you look around the sport and guys aren't afraid to make changes um, when things are going wrong. So I, I think it was a gamble. We'll see if it pays off or not. Um, I see why he did it, but at the same time, um, we're going to have to wait and see if this works out or not. Yeah, I look at Nick Saban bringing in Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator a few years ago, really completely changing what they run on offense and trying to adapt to the times, and it paid off in a big way. You're, you're seeing Jim Harbaugh trying to do the same thing with Josh Gaddis. We'll, we'll see if it pays off. You're seeing... 
uh, Gary Patterson at TCU a few years ago, bringing in new offensive coaches to go more of an air raid look and, and put up big offensive numbers. You have a lot of old school coaches who have decided to uh, change things up, but, but D'Antonio really hasn't. And in fairness, Dave Warner as the offensive coordinator in 2014 led what was one of the most prolific offenses in Michigan state history. That was an offense that was full of future NFL draft picks up and down the board. So, uh, but, but if you don't have those players and, I don't think Lorkey is at the level of a Connor Cook. Then, then how do you make things work? And that's what we've we've yet to see. But uh, they will be aided by that defense. And this is a defense that was top ten in in most statistical categories. I think uh, Mike Trussell taking over the de- defense as as coordinator probably probably didn't get enough uh, love for the job he did, uh, like the way Harlan Barnett and, and Pat Narduzzi had in the past. But uh, they are they are all set on there. I mean. If we, we started the defensive line, Willikis, Panashuk, Raycon Williams, Panashuk, they're all back on the defensive line. Is there anything else to add other than that this might be the best defensive line in the country? Nah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, I think you make an argument for a couple groups, maybe, maybe Utah's defensive line and Auburn is certainly up there, maybe a couple others, but this is really as good as any defensive line in the country. Uh, when you look at the players coming back, the experience level, the NFL potential, it's, it's really all there. You know, Kenny Wilkins could be a, a day one or day two draft pick. Same for Raekwon Williams, who might be the best player on this defense. Um, Mike Pondershoek might be the most underrated player in the Big Ten. Uh, the guy's strong as hell and just does his job to recreate the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, his little brother Jacob, everyone's been raving about him, and, and he's dropped 15 pounds this offseason in, in order to become a better pass rusher and take some pressure off of Kenny on the other end. So... I look at this defensive line, this is definitely the strength of the team, in my opinion, and this is a position that's going to carry this defense throughout the season. And it's a defense, that line has three seniors, the, the entire defense as a whole could have seven starting seniors, two, three juniors. This is going to be a very, very experienced defense as well, and, and the captain of that will be Joe Bacci at linebacker, uh, the middle linebacker. Uh, what do you make of the pieces around him and what they have at linebacker. Yeah. Um, whenever you have a guy like Joe Bocci back in the way, I think you feel pretty good about the position. Um, and you have Tyree Thompson, who's, who's back at Sam linebacker, and, and Brandon Boyer Randall can spell him there. Um, they do have some unknowns there beyond the, those, those three players, really. Um, look at the star position. MSU lose, lost Andrew Dowell in the offseason, the graduation, and he was a reliable guy next to Bocci the last couple seasons. Um, so they're going to have to replace him. Right, it looks like Antoine Simmons has kind of, you know, taken hold of that position, and you know he's a former four-star recruit. Um, he's athletic enough to where Michigan State has put him in games at running back, which hasn't always worked out. But um, you know, he's 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 a very athletic linebacker, has end-to-end speed and some some big hit potential. So I think that transition at star linebacker is going to be pretty seamless with Antoine Simmons coming back, and then you look at those beyond those three starters. Um, you know, something Mike Trestles talked about dating back to spring is, is building 22 starters. Um, MSU's defense is relatively healthy all of last year with the exception of Josiah Scott. But I think after seeing, you know, the offense go down one by one, I think he understands the importance of building that depth. And also because many of these guys are leaving next year. So when he talks about the 22 starters mentality, my mind immediately goes to the second string linebacker unit, um, which has a lot of unknowns there. Um, you know, it looks like Ed Warner... Um, and Noah Harvey battling it out for that middle linebacker spot behind Joe Bocci. Um, I think Tyree Thompson can play there in a pinch if they need him too. Um, 
Just Lord Botang, great name by the way. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of the number two at, at star linebacker behind Simmons, and um, there are a couple guys battling out for the the backup Sam, but Brandon Boy Randall has that that job pretty locked up. Um, so you know there's there's some some maybe depth concerns there. A lot of young players, inexperienced players, but. I think they, they like what they have at that position, and I think those guys can be building blocks for the future for sure. And you mentioned Josiah Scott. He is back after missing last season. Uh, as a freshman a couple of years ago, looked like he could be a future star and follow in the footsteps of a lot of really good cornerbacks who have come through Michigan State recently. David Dowell is also back as, as a starter at uh, safety. But there are, this of all the spots, this is probably the position with the most questions. Uh, what do you make of the defensive backfield? Yeah, um, you look at a player like Kari Willis, who's by far the heart and soul of this defense last year. He's gone now. Um, making a lot of plays for the Indianapolis Colts right now, but he's no longer in East Lansing. So every young player I've talked to says Kari was the guy that mentored them, showed them the ropes, helped them adjust to the college game. Um, and, and that guy's gone now. I think there are enough leaders on this team to make up for that, but that's something I don't think is, has been talked about enough and maybe just kind of glossed over a little too much. Um, and, then, and then you look at Justin Lane, who when Josiah Scott was out, Lane really stepped up. Um, he developed into an excellent cover corner by, by the time he, he, was, he, was, he was all said and done. Um, and then when Scott came back, when those two were on the field outside locking down opposing receivers – it opened up everything for the rest of the defense. It made, it made quarterbacks have to survey the field longer, which that, that allowed guys like Kenny and Raekwon to feast, and, and the whole defense benefited. So I think um, when those two were on the field, MC only allowed 55 total points in a five-game span. So that's when this defense went to the next level. Lane is gone now. You're going to have to replace him. It looks like Josh Butler is the guy, and, and you know he's been around. He's a fifth-year senior. He's, he has, I want to say, nine career starts under his belt. Um, so I think they're in pretty good hands with him. Uh, just thinking about the Red Box Bowl, that probably makes some, some fans cringe, but Josh and Josiah were paired up in that game and, and held Justin Herbert and that Oregon offense to 166 passing yards and seven points. That, that's a legit performance, and you know, should Josh struggle, there are some young guys, Kalen Gervin, who was MSU's top prospect from the 2018 class, and Shakura Brown, who's a guy who played a little bit. So I think there's a lot to like in that cornerback position, and you know, as much as it, it pains to lose a guy like Justin Lane, I think they're they're well equipped to handle that. In special teams should be the same if they stay healthy. Matt Colgan, the kicker, and Jake Harbarker at punter. Presumably MSU will not be down to its fourth string punter this time. That was yeah. uh that was quite a storyline last year. I think they had what, four three or four different people punt at least fifty yards. Yeah. Which I don't know if that is and, and five total punters were used, including the backup quarterback. Yeah. 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 So we are um we are going to break down the schedule and Tulsa on Thursday. We will get more into uh the details of the opponents and our predictions for the season. Uh but but for now, uh Colton, uh what has been your favorite part of East Lansing in the year plus you have now lived there? Yeah, East Lansing is a really cool college town. Um you know, Every time I go to the store, I see everyone, everyone's wearing some MSU gear, whether it's it's a hat or a shirt or sweater. You know, you really feel the the presence that MSU has in this community, um, which, you know, I've been to college towns before. That's not always the case, but I really feel that in East Lansing. Um, you know, it's been really cool to get to know some of the other beat writers. <laughs> you know, Rex kind of filled me in on, on how the beat was. <laughs> 
with Rex Owen is always watching from above. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he doesn't have a statue in East Lansing, honestly. <laughs> and he's now with the Athletic. If if people weren't aware, he's now uh, a columnist for the Athletic Nashville. So you can still check that yeah, out. Yeah, great to have him there. Um, so yeah, it's been great getting to know the other guys on the beat. Um, you know, the players are pretty accessible. You don't find that at a lot of programs, but you know they they do make them available, which is cool. That helps us do our job and helps us tell their stories. Um, so you know, I, I've been loving East Lansing and. Working for the Athletic Detroit and some of the other guys in this market, like it, it's been great. Um, I've had a lot of fun here, and I'm, I'm just pumped for year two. Do you have a go-to bar yet? Ooh, a go-to bar. Is, is Crunches is Crunches the play? I think Crunches is the play. You, 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 it's it's got it's got everything you, you can. Yeah, want, really. and I've gone there for karaoke night. I I've, I've yet to sing. Um, I need to do that one of these nights, but. Oh, yeah, I, I like Crunches a lot. And I actually wrote a story on, one of the first stories I wrote when I got to East Lansing was, you know, going to a few different bars and restaurants and trying to get, you know, a sense of the culture there. And Crunches was, I think, the first place I went to, the first place that was really recommended to me by when I would ask around about it. And, you know, you see all the pictures on the wall when you when you walk up. You see all the booths with, you know, carvings in it. Like, you really sense everything the embassy is about. So that was really cool. And I do like Crunches a lot. Uh, Peanut Barrel is also a go-to spot. Um... You know, whenever guys come to town, that's usually where I take them. So I like peanuts a lot. <laughs> yeah, and maybe they still have some old state news front pages with uh, my byline on them somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So uh, moving forward, we're going to answer a, a few listener questions. We don't have any now because this is the first episode. But moving forward, feel free to tweet them at us. Uh, I'm at Chris Vanini on Twitter, C-H-R-I-S-V-A-N-N-I-N-I. Colton. Spell your handle out. I'm at C-O-L-T-O-N underscore P-O-U-N-C-Y. There's no E in that. No, no e. e. Not like the not like the not related to So exactly. So we will be back on Thursday to talk about Tulsa, to talk more about the 2019 season specifics. Uh, if it please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We're looking forward to getting this thing going in the future. A reminder: the uh, our, our our weekly Monday pod will be available on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, the Athletic app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. The Thursday pod, previewing the opponent, will only be available on the Athletic app for subscribers. I uh, highly recommend you get a subscription to the Athletic. If you're listening to this, you probably already do. But if you don't, ask somebody you know who does, and they will probably tell you it's worth it. So that'll wrap us up here for Colton Pouncey. I'm Chris Vanini. Thank you to the road dog, Jesse James, for that introduction I am stealing. We will talk to you Thursday and a lot more during the season.